Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord God, for this great opportunity that we have to read from it, to study it. And Lord God, to hear from you as I proclaim it and pray, Father God, for that, that you would speak to every heart in this room, that you know where they are, Lord God, in their lives and their walk with you and all the things that they are struggling with or dealing with and overcoming and having success in through you. So I pray that you would speak to every heart, Lord God, that you would edify your church this morning by the proclamation of your word and that you would be glorified as well. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Well, open up to the gospel of John. We're going to be in John chapter 17 and looking at the last part of Jesus's prayer, which I've mentioned is known as the high priestly prayer. We're going to look at verses 20 through 26. And as we're speaking about prayer, I would just ask uh, that you would pray for Pastor John and his wife, Donna, as his mom. They're not here today because her mom is really struggling with just breathing. So just keep keep them in prayer, especially Donna's mom. Tomorrow night, if you could join us for a night of prayer, it's uh, it's been an awesome time. I've, I've really enjoyed it, and I'm glad that Bob and Debbie Santa had initiated that. And I'm thankful for all those who show up as well. It's, it's been a great time. All right. Well, I don't know if you know this, but October 31st is a really big day. You may not, not know this. And I'm not talking about Halloween. You're like, oh, yeah, all the kids are coming to my house. No, it's actually the 500th anniversary of what's known as the Protestant Reformation. It's the day that Martin Luther posted the 95 Theses on the Wittenberg door at his college. If you don't know what that is, well, Martin Luther was a theologian and teacher at the college. He was also the only church at the time, really, the Catholic Church. And he was putting up, pro, he was protesting some of the things going on in the church that he thought didn't line up with Scripture. And he was asking for a public debate or, hey, let's talk about these, these things. And so, and we're actually a result of that. You know, that's why we're celebrating it. This protest, or the pro, that's where we come from, Protestants within the, the, the Christian church. Uh, we protested some of the things that the Catholic Church was doing. And why did we do that? Did, uh, did Martin Luther not like Catholics? No, he was Catholic himself. But he wanted some reforms to take place within the church. But he, he was basing his sole authority, and this is the point of it, on what Scripture said. Scripture is the sole rule of our faith. We go by, we talk about it, it might be, you know, second-hand or like first-hand knowledge for us in the Christian Protestant churches. We base everything on Scripture, right? If it's not in the Bible, we don't want to hear it. We're always telling everybody, show me in the Bible this, or look up in your Bible, and really, that one of the big catalysts was that protesting by Martin Luther. He was seeing things that the Catholic Church was doing or holding to that, hey, didn't line up with Scripture, and he wanted to change that. Well, obviously, if you know about what happened, he was eventually excommunicated from the Catholic Church, and uh, the rest is history, 500 years of history. Uh, so if you don't know about that, I encourage you to read up on that. It's, a, it's, a, it's an awesome testimony. But the point I'm trying to make is he relied on Scripture and Scripture alone to determine 
his faith, his life. And you'll see this morning as we look at Jesus' prayer for his church that was to come, we'll see that the sole rule of our faith and everything that Jesus is praying for is really bound up in the word of God. And my prayer this morning is that you will be more, more devoted in your life to the word of God so that you might glorify God more and you might grow as a believer yourself. So with that said, let's look exactly, let's look at what Jesus said exactly in his prayer. And this is part three, if you've been with us over the past few weeks. Remember, Jesus prayed for himself in the first part. and the second part, he prayed for his 11 disciples. And then today, as we'll look at, he's praying for you and me, those who would believe because of the testimony of the disciples. So I hope you're interested to find out what Jesus had to pray for you. What does he want for your life? Well, let's look at it. So starting in uh, John, starting in verse 20 of chapter 17, says this. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, speaking of his disciples, but for those also who believe in me through their word. So that's where he's saying he's praying for those who are going to believe after Jesus is gone. Those who believe through the word of the disciples. We'll come back and talk about that a little more. Let me read that again. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known you that you sent me and have made your name known to them. And will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. So in this short little section, there's a lot that Jesus has to say. And we're going to go back and unpack all this and obviously see how it pertains to you and me. But again, I hope you see that from the very beginning in verse 20. He's praying for you and me. Again, he's praying for future believers. Now, let's. Look at some of these words and define them as we move forward. So he's praying for believers. And believers are those who believe in the Son through the word of his disciples. And that's what he says again in verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but those also who believe. So that's specific. They believe in me through their word, his disciples' word. So a believer, again, is one who believes in the Son and specifically through the Apostles' word, the word of the disciples. The disciples, again, are being commissioned, as we've been seeing through the Gospel of John, to go about and be witnesses for Jesus Christ. Do you remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is exactly what Jesus told his disciples to do. They were commissioned. Remember, they were seeing Jesus resurrected. 
They're waiting for Jesus to establish his literal kingdom on earth. They ask him when that's going to happen. He says, it's not for you to know these times or seasons. And he says to them specifically in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And look at this. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So the disciples were commissioned, as Jesus is praying here, to spread the gospel, to proclaim God's word. And that's exactly what they did. If you look in Acts chapter 2, verses four, verse 42, you see how devoted the early church was to this exact thing, the apostles' word. Um, so in, in Acts chapter 2, look at verse 42. It says, they were, continually, they were continually devoting themselves. These are all the believers. This is like a summary of the early church. They were continually devoting themselves to, look, the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The thing that they rallied around was now the apostles' word. Why? Because Jesus had commissioned them. The apostles were going out and proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. And even in the early church, I want to read to you something from the second century Uh, an early church father named Justin Martyr and his testimony about what a church service was like. And let me read that to you for a second here. He says this. He says, "On, On the day called Sunday, all who lived in the cities or in the country gathered together in one place. And the memoirs of the apostles. So the teachings of the apostles. So they had it. This is, you know... Second century, like 140, 150 uh, A.D., he says this, that they gathered in one place and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read. So he's putting on par the writings of the apostles with the Old Testament prophets. And as long as time permits, probably when Sunday school was getting too long, then when the reader has ceased, the, the president verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. So somebody got up after they were read and expounded on the scriptures, and that's what we do today. There, who's called the president. Um, maybe he was the president of the house or whatever it was at that time. But you see early on the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' witness, their teachings was vital to the growth of the church. And if you think about it, what are we studying today? The apostles' memoirs. The apostle John, we're looking at the gospel of John all 20, uh, is it 27 books of the New Testament are the letters and memoirs of the apostles, all of them, from Matthew to Revelation. That's what we're reading. So Jesus' prayer has come true. The apostles' teachings are going forth, and everybody's believing because of them. And so, with that said now, Let's go back to our text and look specifically at verse 21, and you'll see Jesus' first prayer request to the Father. He says this, that they may all be one. So his prayer is for all those who believe through the apostles' teachings, that they may be one. And let's keep reading now. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So that's kind of the, uh, the description of what he means by one. What does it mean to be one? It means to be one just like Jesus and the Father are. 
Now, there's some limitations on that. We're not talking about, hey, you can be God like Jesus and the Father. No, obviously, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. So what does it mean? Again, it doesn't mean we're going to be united in the divinity of God. That's not what he's saying. But if you look elsewhere in the uh, Gospel of John, Jesus tells us over and over again what it means to be one in the Father. And this is what he's praying for the future disciples. He's praying for you and for me that we would be one in this same way. Now, let me give you two verses where Jesus explains this. Let's start uh, in John chapter 14. So just turn back a couple chapters in your Bible. John 14, verses 10 through 12. And it says this. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? So here's this, this uh, uniqueness, this oneness. going on the words that i say to you i do not speak on my own initiative but the father inviting in me does his works believe me that i am in the father and the father is in me otherwise believe because of the works themselves truly truly i say unto you he who believes in me the works that i do he will do also and greater works than these he will do because i go to the father So that oneness that he's talking about, I believe, is talking about the works of God. Jesus does the works of God. He says, I do it because the Father has given them to me. And now he wants his disciples to go out and do the works of God. And that's that unity in purpose or oneness that we can be like the Father and like Jesus as we do the works that they've called us to do. Again, it's in the works that they do and it's even in our purposes for God. You see, Jesus and the Father desire the same thing. Look at John chapter 6, another verse. So go back a few more chapters in John chapter 6, and and let's look at verses 37 through 39, and it explains this a little bit more. He says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and that one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven. So look at this. I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me this is the will of him who sent me that all that have given to me i lose nothing but raise him up on the last day so jesus this is just one instance of it it says i do the will of god he sent me down here i do the will of god and if you think about it jesus is now sending out the disciples to do the will of god and then through the disciples he wants the church to do the will of god So I believe that's what he's talking about in this oneness with God the Father and God the Son. It's a a oneness in purpose. It's a oneness in the works that we are doing in our life. I think that's what he's saying. So let's go back to our text now. So, being one, let me say this as well, also means that we believe in God. Because you can't be one with God the Father or God the Son unless first you actually believe in Him. And that goes without saying. But believers, it means we do the works of God and we do what God wants us to do. The things that He tells us to do, we go out and do them. And it means we have the same purposes of God. What God desires, we, what we should desire as well. And doing those things brings him glory. And he also wants us to do works, and we'll talk about this a little later on. What type of work does God want us to do? 
You know, we're always praying in the church, Lord, what do you want me to do? What ministry do you want me to join? How do you want me to raise my children? The list goes on and on. Well, I would say the answer to all those prayer is, number one, anything that glorifies God is good to do. And the things that we go out and do, like raising our children and, and work and all those things, we should help lead others to Christ in all the things that we do by the way that we live. We should, see, we should desire to see others come to know him and grow him in him because that's what Jesus came to do, to call people to repentance and then have them grow in this, the love for him, as we'll see in a few minutes. So again, this is what I believe it means to be one with the Father, one in purpose, one in desire, one in the works, to see other people come to Christ. You know, going back to Martin Luther, as I mentioned at the beginning, he could have easily just sat uh, in class as a professor and just taught, you know, the doctrines that the Catholic Church gave him or, or teach to the Bible like he was doing and said, oh, well, you know, I believe it. if nobody else believes it, that's okay. But no, he took a stand. He said this is wrong and he wanted to see other people come to know God in the right way. He even wanted his own church to transform and change what they were teaching because he felt it was wrong. He didn't sit there and take the easy route. He knew what God wanted because he read the word of God and he went out, no matter what the consequences were, to try to get his church to follow suit. So again, prayer request number one from Christ is that the future believers, you and I, will be one with the Father and the Son. The second request is look look at verse 21. So again, he says that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And then here's the second part, that they also may be in us so that the word, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So his second request is that what they will be in the Father and the Son, meaning future believers would be in the Father and the Son. And what exactly does that mean when he says being in us? Well, it speaks to an intimate fellowship with the Father and the Son. It's an intimate relationship with the triune God that we are called to have. It's more than an intellectual acknowledgement of the existence of God, like saying, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus. That could be an intellectual acknowledgement of their existence. He's talking about so much more. That's why he says, in us. I and you and you and me and we, and then us and them and them and us. Over and over again in the Gospel of John, Jesus talks like that. And it's talking about a more intimate relationship. It's an exchange of love um, between us and between God. And it's manifested through our obedience to God. Let me show you this in a few, in a few moments here. This is what he's talking about in this intimate relationship. It's, again, it's more than just an acknowledgement. It's an exchange of love. And again, it's manifested through our obedience. That's how we show God that we love him. It's also manifested through us praying to God. How else are we to talk to God? If we say that we love God and we believe in God and we don't pray, why not? How do you talk to God if you love him? We should be a praying people. I like the fact that Izzy this morning just had to sit and just, you know, just meditate. You know, I'm, I'm not, I don't like to do that that often. I always like to have music going. Like even when I study God's word, I, I just put headphones on and have some music in the background because, you know, if it's too silent, I don't know. I just, 
like zone out or something. So I've heard that, hey, if you play especially classical music while you're studying, it kind of keeps one part of your brain focused. Um, so, yeah, sometimes I listen to classical music. I have no idea what they're saying, but, you know, or playing, especially if they're singing. Um, but it helps me study. But the point being is sometimes we just need to meditate and just sit there and think on God. I remember this morning as I was, I was going out to, uh, to study um, I walked out the house, and uh, it was cool. Just the Big Dipper was just right in front of me as I opened the door. And I, was just, I just stared at it, and I was like, oh, this is kind of just meditating on God's creation. Like, wow, that's so cool to see in the morning, in the dark. You know, you don't always see stars out here where we live. You have to get up pretty early in the morning, and hopefully no lights are on. But it was really cool just to see God's creation, to think about God. And say, thank you, Lord, for, you know, just whatever had come to my mind at that time. Even just to see that. To acknowledge who God is and how great he is. The vastness of his creation. Sometimes we need to do that. Just acknowledging God through meditation and through prayer. Another way that we uh, manifest our relationship with God is through reading his word. This is how God speaks to us. You know, God doesn't come down and speak audibly in a voice anymore like he did in the past. He has given us his word that we can look and read every day, every moment that we want, any time that we want right now. We have the ability to do that. That's how we manifest this relationship, this intimate relationship with God by reading his word. He's written this for us. Here in John chapter 17, we're getting a look at what Jesus prayed for us. And finally, we get to manifest this love for God through our worship of him. And again, I liked what Izzy said. You know, we can so easily come here like we know the song and we start singing the song. And all of a sudden, you've sung it for like a minute and you're like in the middle of it. And you don't even know how you got there. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm sure you've all done that. I know I have. We're thinking about other things, you know. You might be thinking about who's here and where's my friend. They're supposed to sit by me. They're not here. Or what's for lunch or what's gonna, what am I going to do afterwards, even in the midst of worship, right? We need to take time and slow down and really think about the things that we sing about. I mean, think about it. We were praying, I want to know you more, that you hunger and thirst. Do you really? When you sing those things, do you really mean it? We need to slow down and think about those things. Man, and, and again, we manifest our love for God by worshiping Him. I, I really believe the Lord loves when we worship Him. We're honoring Him. We're glorifying Him. We're proclaiming His great works when we worship. So I, I pray that you take advantage of those things. Those are ways that you build up your relationship with God through prayer and reading and worship and meditating on His Word. So Jesus' second prayer request was that the Father and the Son, that we would be in them. And that's how we do it, by getting to know them, having that intimate relationship with them. That's how we are in one another. And then I like what Jesus does here in the next part. Why is he praying these things for us? Why does he want us to be one in purpose? Why does he want us to be in Christ and have this fellowship with him? So we could just have this fuzzy feeling and this, this is cool, this is great. No, look at what he says. That they, 
So he says this, that they also may be in us so that, and this is the because or what for, the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus prays for his church that they be one in purpose, one in work, that we'd have an intimate relationship with God, not just for ourselves, but so that other people might come to believe in God himself or themselves. We're to be a witness to the rest of the world. Again, the disciples were told the same thing. You guys are going to be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, and the remotest parts of the earth. Why? So that more people would come to believe. That's our purpose as a church and as believers, that we are one in purpose with God. We have an intimate relationship with God so that other people might believe on him. That's why he did that. That the world may believe that the Father sent the Son. This is why, again, we're one in purpose. Why we have a relationship with God. And let me say this. Unfortunately, there are believers that are too focused on themselves, right? They don't, they wouldn't say they don't care about other people, but it's not a big deal to them. They don't seek to evangelize. They don't seek to glorify God so that other people would come to know them. Again, going back to Martin Luther, Martin Luther had a relationship with God. Sure, he was saved. He was, uh, you know, a big deal in the Catholic Church. He could have just rested on his laurels and said, that's it. But he cared about other people. He wanted to see other people come to faith. You know, I think of the, uh, the prayer of the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18. This is unfortunately how sometimes we can be in our relationship with God and really not care about other people. I think this prayer is a perfect example of somebody that's just all about themselves and their relationship with God and could care less about anybody else. In Luke chapter 18, you have the, Jesus gives you a, a description of two people praying, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Well, let's just look at the Pharisee's prayer for a minute. And it's really, again, I want to focus on his attitude towards those who maybe aren't like him. And you probably know the story, but I just want you to see it from this vantage point. In, in uh, Luke 18, look at verse 9. It says, And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went into a temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you I'm not like other people swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But this, excuse me, and, that, and that's what he says. Let's stop right there. So he's sitting here praying like, God, this is what I do. I mean, I'm saved, if he was. I believe in you, and that's all that matters. It's just me. I'm not like the people outside the temple. Swindlers, what does he say? adulterers, or even like this, you know, tax collector right here that's praying. And again, sometimes in the church, we can have this attitude towards the outside world. Well, hey, I'm saved. Too bad for you guys. And we don't go and share the love of Christ with them. I pray that we would have more of the heart of the Apostle Paul when he when he said this in Romans chapter nine, verses one through three. He says this. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying my conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit 
that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for, my, for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, or my kinsmen according to the flesh. That's the heart we should have. The Apostle Paul says this. You know, he wished he was cut off from God just so that his, his people, his, you know, his, uh, his nationality would come to know Christ. Do you yearn like that for the people in your life who don't know the Lord? Would you be willing to say, God, you could cut me off if only my brother or my sister or my mom and dad or my neighbor would come to know you? Or is your heart more in line with the other way? Now, I'm not saying I don't think I've ever prayed, Lord, cut me off if just somebody would believe. That's a, I mean, he really, really loved these people, wanted to see them so much again that he was like, even if it meant I, I couldn't spend eternity with you, I was cut off, I'd rather see them go. Again, it's just that the two, the, it's just polar opposites on the hearts of people. And I ask you this morning, church, believer, do you care about your friends and your family members, your neighbors that don't know the Lord? Or could you just say, well, I'm not like them. I'm glad I'm not like them. Again, God wants us to have a heart to reach the lost. And that was the purpose of this prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17. Again, so that the world may believe that you sent me. All right, let's move on here. Look at verses 22 through 23. Here here in Jesus' prayer, I believe he explains how the oneness is achieved. Look at what he says in verse 22. Um, <clears throat> so he says, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may, they may be one, just as we are one. So this glory that he's talking about is the, is the manifestation of who the Father is. He's saying, I've manifested your glory to these men. And de- Jesus did this through his works and through his deeds, all that he taught the disciples. All the disciples was to manifest who God the Father was. Right? And he did this so that they would be one, again, so that unity of purpose and desire. And it led them to believe, which is the next point in verse 23. And he says, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. Again, it's talking about that intimate relationship, that interconnectedness. And again, he reiterates why he has done this. Look at the end of verse 23. So that the world may know that you sent me. Again, he's done all this. Manifested the Father. Had an intimate relationship with his disciples. So that the, that the world may believe that the Father sent the Son. Again, and that's through that personal relationship. And then I like, if you notice at the end of verse 23, what he says. He adds something to it. He says, and... Let me read this again because it's kind of choppy. He says, I and them and you and me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you love me and loved them even as you have loved me. He wants the world to know that the father has loved the disciples just like the father loved the son. Think of that. Jesus prays that the father would love the believers just like he loved the son. Again, and that happens through that personal relationship that we have with God. So one of the examples to the world that God is a reality is that the world sees the love God has for the church. 
You might ask, well, how can the world see that God loves the church? I mean, how does he do that? Well, I think it's evident in our lives how we reflect the love of Christ to the rest of this world. The world sees something different that, hey, they're devoted to this God and he's devoted to them. And I think they see that through not only the way that, that uh, we live for Christ, but they see God working in our life, even though may they, not, they may not believe in God. They see things happening in the believer's life that are maybe not are unexplainable. Think of some of our testimonies, where we came from, and how God dragged us, you know, kicking and screaming from the old life into this new life. For those of us that didn't get saved until later in life. I know I, when I've seen friends from the past, they're like, what? <laughs> You're a Christian now? Wow, we would have never thought that. I remember early on in my Christian life, there was a, a, another student at the time. He said, dude, I, n- I was a Christian and I never wanted to talk to you because he was afraid of me. Like I was this big bad guy or something. I don't, I don't know how bad I was, but... In this kid's eye, unless he's just giving me an excuse why he didn't evangelize me, but he was, he was a believer, and I didn't know that. And he was just saying, hey, I, was, I never thought you'd be a believer. I mean, that's, he's like, that's cool now, you know. But people should see the work of God in our life. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about back in the book of Joshua. You remember when the spies went to, uh, to Jericho? I think it was Jericho, and they were, they were checking out the land. And they, they found a lady named Rahab. And this is an example of how the world sees God working in somebody's life. Look at what she says to, to the spies. And this is in Joshua chapter 2. Uh, look at verse 9. I think it starts in verse 9. It says this. So, so she's speaking to the men and she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror... And that, and that the terror of you has fallen on, on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted before you. Why? For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted. No courage remained in any man any longer because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. So God did some awesome miracles for the Israelites. And they faithfully proclaimed this so that when they came to a new land, these people know what God did for them. And they were terrified and afraid. Now, does that mean, hey, well, we need a big miracle in my life in order for those people to know that God loves me and believe in God? Uh, maybe, maybe not. Again, maybe it's just your testimony of your old life. It's a testimony of how you live your life now and the things that God has done for you. I mean, again, just imagine, as we prayed this morning for our sister, Cisco, if God does heals her tonight. I hope that would be a testimony to many of the doctors and nurses that would see her tomorrow. There's something, you know, they might not acknowledge who did it, but there's something out there that they can't explain. Sometimes we have to live in such a way that when big things happen, people cannot help but give glory to God for it. 
And again, I think sometimes we're, we're too intimidated and shy because we don't want to look foolish, right? Going out on a limb for God, and well, what if God doesn't do it? Then I'm going to look dumb. Well, we probably look dumb anyways. Let me just say that. But here in Joshua, the Israelites, they, did, they trusted God to do great things, and he did it, and people knew about it and were afraid. And again, I think this is what Jesus is saying, you know, that, that again, the, the witness of God's love for his church will help bring people to the Lord eventually. Again, it's just in their lives. Their lives reflect who God is. They, their lives reflect that they trust in God. And then when big things happen, they give glory to God. And people take notice of that. Again, think of the people in your life who come to you and ask for prayer. Because they know you're a believer. Even though they might not, you know, uh, most of the time acknowledge it or care about it. But again, even in those subtle little ways, when things are going bad in people's lives, they come to you. Because of your faith in God. They know God is real. You know, they just aren't ready to commit. But they know he's real in your life until they come to you and look to you as, as the sole authority in their life that represents God. And sometimes that's who we are. Sometimes people just read you instead of the word of God. People trust you and your faith with God instead of him. So hopefully we can use that as a catalyst or springboard to draw them into their own personal relationship with Christ. Let's look at the third request of Christ in this prayer. Go down to verse 24 of our text this morning. <clears throat> and he says this. John 17, verse 24. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundations of the world. So he's praying that his disciples will one day be with him and see the full glory of himself as the son of God. Again, here on earth, his glory has been veiled to some extent. But when you see it, when they see him again, he's going to be fully revealed in all his glory. Let me just read one verse for the sake of time. Uh, John reveals this full consummation to us in Revelation 22, verses 3 through 5, about this revealing of Christ and all his glory. It says this, Revelation 22, verse 3, There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will, will serve him. Then look at this, they will see his face. Just meditate on that for a while. They, you and me, when we stand before God in all eternity, we will see the face of Jesus, finally. Right now, we worship out of faith and, and almost blindly worship him, never seeing him, never touching him, holding him. But one day, we're going to see him face to face. Let's go on. And his name will be on their foreheads. And then look at this, and I believe verse 5 depicts what it will be like because just the glory of God will shine so much. And there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of the lamp for the, the li nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illuminate them and they will reign forever and ever. That's the future. That's that glory, I believe, in John that Jesus is praying for 
that one day all my disciples are going to be with me and they're going to see the full consummation of my glory. And lastly, Jesus prays that the disciples' love for him will grow and grow. Look at verse 25 and this last and 26. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known you that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known as like he'll continually make it known so that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So he's praying that the disciples will love him just like the father loves him. And this happens how? By the continual manifestation of who God is, the continual revealing of himself again through the apostles teachings. The more and more that the believer understands who God is through the Word of God, you start to love Him more. And again, that, that song we sung, I want to know you more. I want to love you more. How do you do that? Well, it begins by getting to know Him more through the Word of God because that's the only place that we can truly know who the Lord is. Again, in the result of knowing the Lord, getting to know Him, is that you're going to love him more because you know him more. So how do we, let's close with this. How do, how do we do this? How do we become one with the Father and the Son? And there's just two points here. Number one, we need to grow in our faith. We need to grow in our faith. Again, that's talking about believing and understanding what God wants for us by reading and applying his word in our life. We grow in our faith, again, by believing and understanding what God desires. And the only way that we can do that is by reading his word, because that's where it's revealed to us. Alistair McGrath, he's an Irish historian, biochemist, and Christian theologian. He said this. He said, the Bible is the means by which Christ is displayed, proclaimed, and manifested. This is it. Jesus is displayed, proclaimed, and manifested in his word. So if you as a believer are not reading this, How do you get to know the Lord? I hope you don't rely on Sunday sermon. That's like eating once a week. That's how weak you are as a believer. You eat once a week. Think if you ate once a week in your life, how physically weak you would be. Well, spiritually, if you come to church and this is the only time you open your Bible, you really are spiritually weak. You may feel strong Sunday, but what about Monday through Saturday? We need to get into God's word and read it. Learn about God that way. I would just suggest, if you've never really done that, an easy way to do this and study God's Word is just read through God's Word and write down what you learn about God. If that's all you do, just do that. That will just open up so much to you. Or, you know, if you, if you remember English class back in high school, for those of you that can remember, these, this is what I do. I just ask a bunch of questions about the text. Who's speaking? What does he say? What does it mean? When did he say that? Who did he say that to? And you know, just start writing all this stuff down, and you can just see God's word just, like, just blossom in front of you. It's amazing what we miss if we just, because we just read through it real quick. I would say slow down again to what Izzy said earlier. Just slow down. Read a sentence and ask a bunch of questions about that sentence. And just write it down. And I, I promise you, as you do that, more and more it'll become easier and easier, and you'll just you'll love doing that. You'll see so much in God, about God in His Word. 
So grow in your faith. That's how we become one with the Father and Son. And lastly, go with, go with our faith. So grow in your faith and then go with our faith. What does that mean? That means evangelize. Live in a way that brings glory to God. Again, remember the reputation of the Israelites in Joshua. Because they went out with, they believed it and they lived it, people recognized that. That's what God has called us to do, to believe it and then go out and live it. Now, that doesn't mean you have to preach the gospel every time you meet somebody, but just live out the gospel and people will see that in your lives. And when you get that opportunity to tell somebody about the Lord, you tell them about him the best that you can. And I, I believe me, you're going to stumble and fumble and probably say heretical things because just out of ignorance. We all do it. And then we go back, oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. That's not, that's not what I meant. But the more that we do that, the easier it will get. And you'll see God work in a powerful way because that's what his prayer was, that we would believe and we would be one so that the world may believe that the Father sent the Son. Let's pray. Lord God, we, again, just thank you for your word. We thank you how powerful it is. And we ask, Lord God, that you would help us this week to be dedicated and devoted to the apostles' teachings about you that we are so blessed to have in our own life. We can even have them on our phones. The early apostles, Lord, they they didn't have all the technology that we had. There was no such thing as the New Testament. They were writing it. They had the Old Testament. But the thing that transformed them was that they saw and spent time with the Son. And they transformed our world. And we are recipients of that. I pray this week, Lord God, that you would help us to transform the world that we're involved in. That it would begin with our own lives. That we would truly believe in the Son. And that we would truly desire to know Him more. And that you would give us a heart for those people in our lives who do not yet know you. Help us to live in such a way that brings honor and glory to you. And when we are privileged to speak about you, we pray that your spirit would help us to do that with love and compassion, with tenderness and with wisdom. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. And it's all because of your son, Jesus Christ, that we are even here. And we thank you for that. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.